0: So that's our series, Creative Spirituality. We're walking through Second Corinthians. Today, I'd like to talk about living between two worlds. And at the end, I'd want to pray. I felt it would be a great day to pray for our students, college students, uh, high school students, middle school students with us here as we're really starting this new school year. There was an African-American pastor a number of years ago who, who, who pulled together the college students in his church. And he said, children, you're going to die. One of these days, you are going to take you out to the cemetery. They're going to drop you in a hole, throw some dirt on your face, and go back to church and eat potato salad. <laughs> now, when you were born, he said, you alone were crying and everyone else was happy. The important question I want to ask is this. When you die, are you alone going to be happy, leaving everybody else crying? And the answer depends on whether you live to get the titles or whether you live to get the testimonies. And that's where Paul's going to go now as he talks about living between two worlds. He, he's going to use a word picture for us. He's going to talk about tents, and they're going to refer to our bodies. And he's gonna talk about houses, they're gonna talk about our home in heaven and, and how these two worlds meet and how we can actually navigate our way living between those two worlds. So he's just finished saying in the previous chapter that you know we, we're not people who lose heart, but we also don't focus on things we can see because they're temporary. We, we focus on what's unseen, our heavenly home. And so, verse one of chapter five, Paul says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Then he adds this interesting phrase, not built by human hands. Our house in heaven, the world to come, our our destiny in Christ. We're gonna have a house there that's not made with hands. And I wonder if at that moment, Paul, Paul just stopped his writing or his dictating or whatever he was doing, he just looked at his hands. His hands would have been very strong hands and they probably would have been calloused hands because of all things, Paul himself was a tent maker. And, and he understood this about tents. Tents are wonderful things to have. He said, I spent a whole part of my life building them and making them for people. But I also know this about tents, they're temporary. And so he said we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed so here's the contrast in this life in these bodies they're about like tents and we don't want to spend the rest of our existence just living in a tent we want a home a house and he says our destiny is a house in in that other world this world marked by living in these tents temporary that other world an eternal house in heaven and not built with human hands and so he says in verse 5, now, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose, talking about these two worlds, this world and the world to come, the, the one who fashioned for this, us for this very purpose is God, who has given us, interestingly enough, the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, if you were to buy a house, you probably put a down payment on it. And God said, I've given you, I've given you my spirit, and it's a down payment. You're still living in the tents, but there's a day coming when the camping is going to be over. And you're going to get to live in a permanent eternal house and that house i purchased for you and my spirit is the down payment in that house to keep you for that moment and to be with you so the next verse says therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body we are away from the lord so this is these two worlds we we live in this tent right now as long as we're here although god's spirit i mean Thank God for his awesome presence today as we worship him that fills our, this house that fills our lives. But, but in, a, in another way, although he's with us by his spirit, he's, his spirit's keeping us for the day when our house in heaven uh, is realized. At, at the same time, we're not face to face with the Lord like we will be then. And, and so in that sense, we don't see the Lord like we will in that world to come. We don't see him. And so... And so he said we're confident that as long as we're at home in the body, we just know this, we're away from the Lord in that sense. Not that his presence isn't with us by his spirit, but in that sense we're away from the Lord. That's why, next verse, we live by faith and not by sight because we can't see the Lord like we will when we're face-to-face with him in heaven. So this is a faith life right now. But we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I mean, here's Paul saying, now this was not a perverse death wish. And, and we all want to survive, right? It's like the group of friends are hanging out one day and, and they just get in this conversation that eventually leads kind of morbidly to talking about death. And so, so, so one of the friends says to the others, um, what would you like said about you at your funeral? And one guy speaks up and says, well, I'd like people to say that, that you know, he was just a great humanitarian who cared for his community. Another guy spoke up and said, well, I'd like people to say, you know, he was a wonderful husband and a father and always a great role model for others to follow. And after a pause, uh, another one of the friends spoke up and and, and said, well, at my funeral, I would hope someone says, look, he's moving. (laughs) Because, I mean, I, I mean... It's easy to say amen to what Paul said. I'd rather be there than here, but, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, none of us really wants to die, right? I mean, it'd be nice if we were still moving at our funeral and it wasn't our funeral. But this is this is living between two worlds. And so Paul is setting up now the question. He's going to take the rest of the chapter to answer. How do we live? How do we navigate between these Two worlds I I like if you're engaged I mean you really get this right you're kind of living between two worlds right now you're not what you were footloose and fancy free and no commitments and you're not what you will be united and bonded in marriage you're kind of in between and it's stressful and there's a lot of things to get done it's not the easiest time But theologians call this in between time the already but not yet we're not what we were slaves to and and, to this world and to sin and satan's power we're not but we're not at our home we're we're just kind of camping out right now in these tents and so the big question is how 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 do we live between these two worlds and paul's going to give two very very simple answers and i'll I'll give them to you right up front so you can track easily with this This it's not complicated he's about to say to us through the rest of chapter five here's how you live between two worlds you live to please jesus And you live to proclaim Jesus that's why what we do while we're still camping we live to please Jesus and we live to proclaim Jesus so he starts with pleasing Jesus the next verse verse 8 well in in fact we just read it let's pick it up again we are confident I say would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord so we make it our goal to what please him we make it our goal okay Uh, We'd rather be there in our eternal home. We're still camping out in these tents. But but in the meantime, here's our passion. Our passion is to please God. This is our goal. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, this is what it's about. We're going to please him. And then he gives us, he tells us about a moment that honestly I hear this preached on less and less these days. But it's very real. Next verse. Four, after saying it's our passion to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now there's two judgment seats in the New Testament. One's at the very end of human history where the dead who don't know Christ are raised and they too are judged. The books are open and, but their names are not found in what's called the book of life. There's only one way you get in the book of life. It's it's, it, it's taking what Jesus did for you that you can't do for yourself and, and receiving his forgiveness. He died for our sins and, and, and rose again. And, and, and so that's how you become a Christian. You, you put your trust in him, become a follower of his. But, but there's going to be this what they call this white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. That's not the judgment seat, though, that Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about those who do go to heaven. And we go to heaven not because we're particularly impressive. you you can't buy your way you can't earn your way you can't deserve your way into heaven it's only by trusting in jesus who did something for you you can't do for yourself we're unworthy of it that's why we call it grace so you get to heaven by what jesus did not by what you do but when we get to heaven paul says we are still going to be accountable for our lives for what we did did we twiddle our thumbs and waste our lives while we were living in this tent just kind of waiting for heaven to arrive or do we make a difference with our lives? And so he says that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're already going to be in heaven. But there's going to be this accounting for your life. So that we may receive what's due us. There are going to be rewards in heaven. And, and we're going to receive what's due us for the things done while in the body. While we were still in these tents between two worlds. Um, and we're going to receive for those things done in the body, whether good or bad. Now, there was one year and three months before 9-11, there was something else that happened just outside of Memphis There was not the physical earthquake of terrorism that changed our world, but something else that propelled a whole generation of college students into the last 20 years for Jesus. It was a passion conference just outside of Memphis. It was their first outdoor one. 40,000 college students. It was a one-day conference, and the weather was bad. It had been raining. It had been windy, cold. And now it's well into the afternoon. It's getting a little long. And it was time for Dr. John Piper to preach. He preached a sermon that many people say launched an entire generation of college students onto our world for Christ, to live lives that were pleasing to him. The, The title of his message was Don't Waste Your Life, and here's one piece of it. I'll put it on the screen. I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998 in Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Then Piper said, picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That, he says, is a tragedy. That is how you waste your life. Now, don't come back at me. I have, a hobby. I have hobbies just like you have hobbies and, and, and that helps make you a healthy person. But I want to tell you when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I don't want to just say, "Lord, here's my trivial seashells. That's that's all I have to account for my life." Don't waste your life. For me that means asking myself questions like like am I listening? Do I listen? to and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit? Am I really listening to and obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit? If I'm going to live pleasing to Him, if I'm going to stand before His judgment seat one day, yeah, thank God I'll already be in heaven, but I want to stand with trivia to show Him. I, 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 want, to, I want to say, God, I listened to Your voice the whole time and I did what I could to obey You and to please You. It, I want to be able to say at the end of it that, that my character was more important to me than just... My charisma not that I have much of it but I want to stand before Jesus with more than just an image I cast I want to stand before him say God I I tried to authentically to the core of who I am be what you called me to be I worked on my character I didn't try to fake it I didn't try to just project images and coast on my charisma and get what I could get back for myself out of it I tried to be an authentic follower of yours And, and and I hope I can say Lord I was on a mission I was on a mission to proclaim you and to proclaim what you could do for other people in my world. This, th- this is standing before Jesus with more than just seashells. John Piper's sermon has famously been known as the seashell sermon. Why waste your life? Don't waste your life. Paul said, we're just intense, We're just camping out uh, uh, until the time to enter our home and be face-to-face with the Lord. But in the meanwhile, we are giving ourselves to pleasing Jesus because someday we're going to stand, stand before him. And that's where he gets into then talking about proclaiming Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others so here's where paul's going he said we're only living in tents we're going to appear before the judgment seat of christ and we want more than seashells to account for our lives we we want to be able to say lord we did everything we could to please you and then and then he says if that's true that's why we try to persuade others Now, listen to me closely. I'm going to be very honest with you. For the last few years, every time I've read that phrase, we try to persuade others, something has winced in me because it is increasingly feeling so politically incorrect to ever do that anymore. And two years ago, the Barna Research Institute released a study in which, out of their research, it showed that... That nearly half of practicing Christian millennials now believe that it is wrong to evangelize other people. That's half of Christian young people, and the reason is the is because even I feel it myself. I mean, why do I wince at so that? It just feels in, politically incorrect our culture is saturated with cultural relativism and and what this research study talks refers to as emotivism where feelings are elevated and even replace truth and and, and and the respondents in this survey said, I, I don't feel it's right to share my faith with some, somebody who has a different faith with the expectation that they might want to adopt my faith. It just is, it's, it's politically incorrect, it's insulting, it's inappropriate, it's wrong to evangelize, it's wrong to persuade others. And I feel this in the air. That's why even I, I'm a pastor, I share about Jesus all the time. And even I wince at that phrase. Well, no, we're here to persuade others. I mean, that that is so against where it's all going. but this is this is our job. And Paul will explain why, verse fourteen. For Christ's love compels us. There's something about the love of Christ for every human being that just compels us, just pushes us forward, that that, that we can't keep our mouths closed about Jesus. and and and, and here's how the love of Christ w- w- was revealed, because we are convinced, that one died for all. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, we're honoring this weekend first responders who literally laid down their lives to save other people. I mean, thank God for them. But I want to tell you, the God who created you could have just just left you and me to self-destruct but he actually came to this world, and he laid down his life. He died for all, uh, and, and, and so that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. There's something just shot through with the passion and love for, of God for every human being. I, I, I know most people feel everything's relative, and it's what you feel, not what's true, but, but he, here's the facts. As our second president, John Adams, once said, facts are stubborn things. Here's the facts. Your creator died for humanity. He created you, and he died in our place so that we could no longer, we could could be free from having to live for ourselves with our petty priorities, and we could actually live for him in new resurrection life. And it's that love that just compels us to persuade people. In fact, two verses later, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is the best news you can ever hear. The new creation has come. And here Paul links the the world to come with this world. In many ways, in Jesus, the future is breaking in on the present. He said, if anyone's in Christ, The new creation has come. The old is gone, and and the new has come in our lives. Something dies of the old in our lives because Jesus died for us. And something of the world to come, the powers of the world to come, and the power of, of of a reconciled relationship with Jesus Christ comes and fills our lives. And so, verse 18, Paul will say, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, have you ever really been at odds with somebody? I mean, it's more than a food fight. You've you, you really, you really been on the other side of the table with someone for a long time, and finally you reconcile. That's a word we use, it's a relationship word. You, you let it go finally, both sides, just let it go. And you find friendship again, and, and you find reconciliation. Look, he said, the new creation, the powers of the world to come are already breaking in on this world and our lives in Jesus. We're already tasting what, what we're hungering for of our home in heaven. It's coming now, new life in Jesus. And, and, and all, he said, and this is from God who in Jesus reconciled, that's another way of putting it, he reconciled us to himself through Christ and then, he doesn't stop there, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God, he explains, was, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That this is what he's given us. In fact, it's not right to not proclaim Jesus to our world. And it's not right to waste our lives and not please him while we're in these tents. This is Paul saying, I'm living in a tent. We're we're just on a camping trip right now in this life. It's not the ultimate real. It's not, and it's certainly not the final. It's only temporary. And And yet, in these tents, we're just passionate because newness has come to us through Jesus. We're passionate. We're passionate about pleasing Jesus and proclaiming Jesus because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why in the next verse, verse 20, he says, we are therefore, could you say those two words with me? Christ's ambassadors. You know, an ambassador represents one country to another country. And they work in an embassy, and that embassy in the other country actually is officially the territory of the country they're from. The German embassy in Germany is, is technically American territory. And the the ambassador there represents the American interest. That's what an ambassador does. He says, you and I, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's why we proclaim him. Now, if you grew up in the Assemblies of God, which I did, uh, in your youth group, it was probably called CAs, right? Christ Ambassador CA. Then I transferred to the University of Minnesota as a as a junior in engineering, and I joined a Chi Alpha group, which was a university ministry group started by the Assemblies of God. We've got a lot of national Chi Alpha leaders who are part of our church and even here this morning. And that redirected my life. But what's Chi Alpha? Chi is Greek for C, Alpha is Greek for A. C A. And then, of course, someone had to come up to me after first service and remind me that. And now, you pastor at Central Assembly. (laughs) I go, I never thought of that. Thank you for telling me. I don't care how you slice dice or rearrange CA. We are ambassadors for Christ. We live in these tents to please Him and to proclaim Him. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I see my friend Jerry Spain over here. We've been running buddies for years. Now we walk, but (laughs) he is 14 years older than me. But yesterday, um, yesterday we were walking, he told me a very vivid story, um, and Jerry's got guts. You remember when 9-11 took place? I mean, people were just scared of flying, right? So three days after 9-11, Jerry gets on an airplane and flies to Nigeria from the United States. He said the plane was nearly empty. But he was on a mission. And he was going to help host a conference for people who were proclaiming Christ in Nigeria. And he said, he said, we were we were in this service and one of the guest speakers was a, a man by the name of Lazarus Chiquera, which back then in 2001, September of 2001, uh, he was the Assembly of the God General Superintendent in Malawi. Today, he's the elected president of the country of Malawi. And he was preaching to these pastors from all over Nigeria. And 9-11 had just happened. And he starts crying out with the love of Christ in his heart, the love of Christ which compels us. And says, you know, while America was sending troops to counter-terrorism, he was mobilizing another army, a spiritual army, And he said, who will go to the Islamic world and tell them about how much Jesus loves them and how that the new is begin to come in Christ? And here's how my friend Jerry put it to me yesterday morning. It was such a vivid picture. He said, Nigerian pastors all of a sudden just started running to the altar saying, I'll go, I'm on a mission, I'm Christ's ambassador, and I'll go to the place where they don't even know we love them, but God is going to call me here. I'm so grateful for. I don't know if they're here, but Niazi and Nala, they're they're um, uh, they're, they're people from Iraq. They're Iraqis who at, live in Springfield and attend our church. Amazing. We baptized them, Muslim background. We baptized them about three years ago, right up here, and, and and they've been sharing with their family. And just a few weeks ago, their daughter was visiting from out of town. A beautiful young adult woman, and and we were standing right about there, and she was telling me. It's a Muslim background. She said, I've been an atheist. I didn't think there was anything to any of this. But she said, Jesus revealed himself to me three months ago. And this girl was lit up on fire for Jesus. Just saw a video last week of her being baptized. And, And you know what? Jesus is on a mission in our world. The love of Christ compels us. What are we doing wasting our lives? This is it, and this isn't always easy, sharing our faith, and I'm so grateful, even this Wednesday night, one of the, one of the we have a parenting elective and Bible study and, and other things, and, and the fin, um, Financial Peace University and two Wednesday nights, but, but, but this Wednesday night, I'm grateful for Brian Kelly. He's got one of the menu options this Wednesday night. is gonna be learning how to share your faith with others more effectively. I mean, we all need to grow in that. But we're on a mission. We're we're here, Paul said, we're living in tents. So what are we going to do? How how do we, how do we, we're just living in tents. We're between two worlds. We don't belong to this world anymore. And we're not at the other world yet. We're not in our home in heaven yet. We're, We're not with the Lord yet in that way. So what do we do? We just simply do two things. We just live to please Him and we live to proclaim Him. I've rarely had you who are students on my heart. In fact, the worship team to come. I'd like you all to stand with me. I've really had those of you who are students, middle, high school, college students. I was a college student for nine years. I tried very hard to be a rocket scientist. I have a PhD in aerospace engineering, and I, loved, I still love science and all that. Many of you know that story, but I'll never forget my first day as a freshman on campus, walking across campus, all this brand-new adventure. And I love Jesus, and I love science, but, but I just somehow knew, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was like I thought this this morning. It's that clear to me still. Um, I remember walking across that campus in an unpremeditated moment. These words went through my head. I am here as a missionary before I'm here as a student. It was like this, I'm a missionary first. I walked, I walked the grounds of Winona State University where I spent my first two years. And I said, God, I'm your person. You hear me say this often. You're God's person wherever you go. You're God's ambassador. You're Christ's ambassador. We're in this world, we don't belong to this world. You're Christ's ambassador. And I just had this sense, I'm on a mission before I'm to, here to get an education. And I worked very hard in my education. I pulled very good grades. I studied very long hours. But in spite of that, I knew I was there for a mission BEFORE I WAS THERE FOR AN EDUCATION. AND THAT'S WHAT I WANT TO PRAY FOR YOU. I WANT TO PRAY THAT YOUR STUDENT LIFE WILL BE FILLED WITH THE PASSION TO PLEASE JESUS AND PROCLAIM JESUS, AND THEN LEAVE IT IN JESUS' HANDS AND SEE WHAT HE MIGHT DO. WHEN I WAS A STUDENT THAT FIRST YEAR IT WENT ON A STATE, I HAD A FRIEND, HE WAS A BAPTIST, AND and HE USED TO CALL IT SOUL WINNING. And, AND HE SAID, JIM, WE NEED TO TELL PEOPLE ABOUT JESUS. So every Monday night, he said, I need you to come with me. We're going to knock on doors in the dorms, and we're just going to tell people about Jesus. Every Monday night, we just went and told people about Jesus. I know that sounds almost impossible for most of us these days, given the cultural context today. But I don't care how you do it, but we're on a mission. We're Christ's ambassadors. And if you're a student, I want you to see that you are there for a mission before you're there for an education. Work hard on your education. I'm going to pray for you for that. But at the same time, the love of Christ compels us. And so we persuade men. Because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What hope, what life that can come to people's lives. So we please him and proclaim him.